I love that video because I love the whole concept of approaching your work as worship, and it fits so well into our theme for this year to make Jesus famous. As I watch that video, I see you know, all these different sectors of labor, and I was thinking what it would be like to have somebody who is a follower of Jesus in every sector approaching their work in a different way, so different that the people around them look at them and say, what makes you different? And then they get to tell them about Jesus. That's why we are having this simulcast of work as worship. And I'm inviting you to that. Hope you are able to go. There's a table out in our atrium right now that you can ask some questions and uh, sign up. But we'd love to have you go to that. All right. Well, welcome uh, and good morning to Christ Community Chapel. Really glad that you are here. Uh, those of you who are here and those of you who are here over in East Hall, you guys are our courageous ones, right? And welcome those of you who are still at home, warm and safe. You guys might be our smart ones. So <laughs> we need both smart and courageous. Uh, actually, I met somebody in the atrium after, uh, or right after second service, and he said he watched the first hour at home, and then he came second hour so he could be both smart and courageous. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, I am enjoying hearing how different of you guys are, are actually making Jesus famous in different ways. And I received this email earlier this week. It said, hello, Joe. My husband and I were talking after church two weeks ago about the new year and what we can do to make Jesus famous. 
My nine-year-old daughter, Bella, thought it would be a great idea to bring one of the Make Jesus Famous notebooks into restaurants to draw as we wait for our food. And if anyone asks her about it, she can tell them all about Jesus. Our family's so excited to make Jesus famous in 2019. I love it when all of our kids catch the vision. I want us to catch the vision as well. You know, in Mark chapter 1, before Jesus had hardly done anything at all, it says this, verse 28, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And that's what we want here in 2019. We want to help Jesus' fame spread everywhere around this region and the world. So we started by casting a vision a couple of weeks ago that our theme for 2019 is to make Jesus famous. We tried to answer three questions. What does it mean to make Jesus famous? Why do we want to do it? And then how is it going to happen? And we're spending a few weeks talking about how it's going to happen. We talked about making concentric circles, small, bigger, biggest. We started last week by saying, this is how we're going to make Jesus famous at home, in our homes. This week, we're going to talk about how to make Jesus famous in our communities. And then next week, we're going to talk about our region and the world. Don't miss next week. Uh, next week is when we kind of chart the course for the next decade for our church and what we feel like God is calling us to do in this region for him. I am so pumped about it. I think you will be excited as well. I think it's going to be a great, great thing. And so do not miss next week if you can help it. All right. But today we're going to talk about making Jesus famous in our communities. And before we get started, I want to give you a warning. Uh, because uh, in some ways we can do all the right things this year. And if we do it for the wrong reason, we may succeed in making Jesus infamous instead of famous. And I know we're going to talk more about that next month in our series, Christianity, Famous or Infamous. But, you know, there are people who loathe Christianity. And some people loathe Christianity for good reason. And uh, we don't want to give them that reason this year. And now this is what I mean. Jesus in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, he has a recurring theme throughout the sermon. He's contrasting two different types of people. And he does it with different analogies. He says there are two paths, two ways, two trees, two houses. And each time he's making the same point. And the point is that there are two ways to approach God, two ways to go through life. And what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't contrast people the way we would think he would. He doesn't say, here's one person who prays and reads their Bible and cares for the poor and is generous. And then there's this other person who is the exact opposite, who spends all their time on themselves, who goes uh, to the track and then who kicks their dog. Like, that's not what he does. What Jesus does is hear two people, and they will look exactly alike from the outside. They will do some of the exact same things, but they're doing it for a different reason on the inside, and that makes all the difference. It's like he, these two apples look exactly alike. And what Jesus says is that even though they look exactly alike, you bite into one, it has poison and death. You bite into the other, it has joy and life. Be careful which apple you become. And the best way to describe the difference on what happens on the inside is to try to describe what the whole New Testament is about, what we call the good news, what Scripture calls the gospel, what we talk about all the time, in the way that Christianity is different 
in the way that it approaches life and the way it approaches God. And to try to describe that, this time I'm going to try to do something different. I'm going to use just single words. So let me start with this word. I'll start with the word ought. Everybody has an idea of how the world ought to be. Not just people in church, people outside of church, people at your work, people in your neighborhood. If you were to ask them, tell me, how do you think the world ought to be? They'll describe something. They'll describe and say, you know what? The world ought to be more loving, more kind. There ought not be racism. There ought not be kids that are bullied. There ought, everyone ought to be treated with dignity and respect. That's the way the world ought to be, right? And then the second question, is, oh, before I get to that, if you have any self-awareness at all, you realize that it's not just the world that ought to be a certain way. You have an idea that you ought to be different than what you are. Right? You, have, you know that deep down you feel like you ought to be kinder. You ought to be more loving. You ought to be more generous. You ought to be more forgiving. You ought to be less judgmental. But then this, the second word is this, am. And I know what I ought to be, but this is what I am. I know what the world ought to be, but this is what it is. And then the next word is this, is should. How do we get from what I am to what I should be? Because should is very close to ought. And it's really the question of how do I become, how do I go from what I am to what I was created to be, what I know I should be? How do we get the world from what it is to what it should be? And that's the $64,000 question, and that's the question everybody's trying to answer, if not for themselves, then for the people in the world around them. And the answer that every other system other than Christianity gives is this. Work. The way you get from, what, from being what you are to what you should be, the way you get the world from what it is to what it should be, is Work. Right? You, you create educational programs. You do these political things. You have these programs. If you're talking about religious things, you say you've you got to follow the, this noble path. You've got to go to the eightfold path. You've got to pray five times a day. You've got to do this. You've got to come to church. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to do things, and if you work hard enough, then you will begin to change from what you are to what you should be. Then the world will begin to change from what it is to what it should be. And only Christianity provides a different system. And that's this, this word here, the word love. And not just saying, not, not saying that you should, the way you change from what you are to what you should be is that you need to love people more. In fact, it's the exact opposite, is that you need to realize how deeply God already loves you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The whole idea of the gospel is this, that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus for you. And the thing that will really change you is, re is understanding that to such a depth that you realize that God has given you grace and love when you did not deserve it. And that begins to change you from what you are to what you should be, what you were created to be. That's what all last year was about. Our theme last year was transformed in 2018. We kept on saying we need to drive the gospel so deep inside of us. Get that understanding of the love of God so deep down that we will begin to change from what we are to what we should be, could be, want to be. All right? 
And the reason that Jesus says that there's a difference, that you can be doing all the right things but have poison and death instead of joy in life, is that if I do it somehow by my work, if I change from what I am to what I should be through my own work and I'm successful, that will result in pride, right? Because I'll feel like I did something. I made myself a better person. And if I know what I should do to move from what I am to what I should be and I, and I don't, I'm unsuccessful, that will lead to despair. And pride and despair are two different words for the same thing, which is spiritual death. But if I understand that what moves me from what I am to what I should be is the grace and the love of God through Jesus Christ, then that results in humility and gratitude, which are two words that describe joy and life. And one of the ways that you know whether you have moved from what you are to what you should be by your own work or by grace, if you are becoming more of what you should be and you look at somebody who isn't quite what they should be yet and you feel superior in any way, then poison has begun to enter your soul because that you think you're the one who did that. And the only solution to that is to go back to the cross and remind yourself that it's the It's God's love demonstrated through the cross of Jesus that has the power to change you from what you are to what you should be. So this year, 2019, we want to make Jesus famous. We want to do a bunch of stuff. We want it to be spectacular in our home, in our community, in this region. But we need to do the right thing for the right reason or it will result in poison and death instead of joy in life. So that's my warning. All right. Now let's look at what I mean by, say, by saying make Jesus famous in our communities. And I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. I'm going to go to three stories in the Scriptures, and I'm going to pull out one point from each story. So the first story is found in John chapter 1, and it's a story we alluded to last week. It's the story of Philip and Nathaniel. This is what it says. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. This is God's word. I love it that Philip just says to Nathanael, Come and see. This is what I want you to do. Now, if you continue with that story, you realize that Nathaniel did go and see Jesus. He began to follow Jesus, and he became one of the original 12 disciples along with Philip. And it absolutely changed his life forever. But here's my question. Why did he do it? Nathaniel was obviously skeptical. Why did he, as a skeptic, finally get up and follow Philip to go meet Jesus? And the answer is, they were friends. They were friends. And friends are willing to risk, like Philip was willing to risk it with Nathaniel. Nathaniel was willing to risk it with Philip. There's a movie that I like, and it happens to be a French movie, so when you watch it, you have to to read subtitles throughout the whole movie, Uh, which (laughs) makes it sound like I'm really cultured, right? Because I'm watching a foreign film. And I'm not cultured at all, and you should know that by now. But uh, I think I've shared this with you. I've, I've seen one opera in my life. 
And uh, during that opera, during one song, and I don't know if you even call them songs in opera, right? But I recognized one song, and I turned to my wife, and I go, I recognize this song. This is when Bugs Bunny is on Elmer Fudd's head, massaging him back and forth. And it was the Barber of Seville, and I still remembered that. That's my, uh, so I realized that my only connection to the highbrow music is Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. So, but I like this movie. And I've, I've told friends about this movie, and I've said, I've recommended it. You ought to watch this movie. And they, because it's a foreign film, they have to read subtitles. They go, mm-mm. I can see how skeptical they are. So usually the only way for me to get them to watch it is to watch it with them. So now I've watched the movie like 10 times. Why do I take the risk? Oh, and it's such a big risk that I'm not telling you the name of the movie. And I know some of you, that drives you crazy. Right? And that's going to drive you crazy from now on. And you're going to want to come up to me after the end of this message and say, hey, listen, I just have one question about your sermon. What's the name of the movie? Right? And if you do that, I will assume you missed the whole point of the sermon. So don't do it. You're just going to have to live with this mystery of not knowing the movie. Right, but I, I, why do I take the risk with my friends? Well, because I want them to experience what I've experienced. Why do they take the risk with me? Because it could turn into a very embarrassing evening if 10 minutes in they just go, Joe, this is awful. I hate this. And then I, you know, we have that weird awkwardness. And they take that risk with me because they trust me. And there's something that happens between friends where you're willing to do that. Okay, here's the first, my first point. In trying to define your community, your community starts with one, with one friend. You should have gotten a card when you came in. It says, make Jesus famous on one side. On the other side, if you don't have a card, you can pick one up. You can just write it on a piece of paper right now. If you're watching online, you can just pick up a piece of paper and write this down. But there's a place for you to put the name of one person. And what I want you to do is write down the name of one person in your life that you are friends with that you want to say to them, come and see. Where you're, you're, going to be, you're going to begin to pray for them in 2019. And in 2019, you're going to get the courage to take the risk to tell them, I want, to, I want you to come and see Jesus. And you're going to pray that they will take the risk with you and come and see. All right? So think of the name. Write it down. I want you to put this card somewhere where you will see it, whether it's in your Bible or on your refrigerator or something, because 2019, your community starts with one. That's the first point. All right. Second story is just a a couple of chapters later in the Gospel of John. This is the story of uh, the woman at the well, and it's John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. That's what it says. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me as a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. This is God's word. So this woman has this encounter with Jesus And she walks away, and something has happened inside of her. This thirst that she felt deep down, she began to feel was being quenched. And then she went into the town and told people. You know, whenever I used to preach on this particular passage, I would always kind of present this woman, the Samaritan woman, as, uh, as being a promiscuous woman because she'd had five husbands, and the man she was living with was not her husband. But then Sam Albury came, and he spoke on this passage here at our church. And he pointed out in the first century it was a male-dominated society and a woman was not allowed to divorce her husband. A husband was the only one who could actually divorce his wife. And he said, this woman isn't a promiscuous woman. This woman is a broken woman. This is a rejected woman. This is a woman who knew what it felt like to be used up and thrown away. To have somebody tell her, I have no use for you. You are of no value. And she had that done to her over and over and over and over and over again. And she comes to Jesus, right? And you, you talk about how the world ought to be. A woman ought never have to feel that. But here she was, just broken up inside and completely empty. And then she comes into contact with Jesus. And for the first time, she begins to feel something stir inside her. She begins to feel someone really love her. And that immediately makes her start to become what she was intended to become, which is a person of great value and dignity in the eyes of God. And then she goes back to her village, and she begins to tell people, right? Question, how much did she know about Jesus? Very little. 
right? She wouldn't know how to answer the first question that somebody asked her about Jesus. Like she would come back and she'd say, this is what this guy did. And they would go, well, where did he come from? What, what's his background? Who was his father? What happened? And she would just go, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. She didn't know about the prophecies of the Old Testament. She didn't know much about Jesus. She didn't know anything about apologetics, but she'll, she, still she told people. And I say that because there are so many people, and maybe you're one of them, where you, you are reticent to tell somebody about Jesus because you're afraid they're going to ask you a question that you can't answer. But this is the truth. However little you think you know about Jesus, you know more than she did. And what she did was tell people, listen, listen, come see someone who told me everything I did. And there had to be something different in her eyes at that time because she was saying, come see a man who knows me. No one knows me. And then she says this, could this be the Christ? And what she's saying is, could this be what you're looking for? Could this be who you're looking for? And who do you think she went to when she went back into town? I mean, who did she see? You know, I, be, I began to think of this, and she, she had at least five groups that she could go to and tell about this that would know her that she would know because she had five sets of ex-in-laws. <laughs> I had never thought about that until I started studying for this particular message. That means from her first husband, she had ex-brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and nieces and nephews. From her second husband, she had ex-brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and nieces and nephews. From her third husband, so each one, she was like two degrees separated from everybody in that whole village. And she went to these groups and she said to them, could this be what you're looking for? Could this be who you're looking for? My second point about defining your community is it starts with one, but your community consists of groups because we're all part of groups. One of my favorite stories of somebody who came into a relationship with Christ through this church is the story of Sanj Kalra. Sanj is going to be the speaker at our Band of Brothers event in March, and I don't want to steal his thunder because his conversion is really kind of a dramatic conversion. But when Sanj first came to Christ, he... uh, he became kind of radioactive. And he began to go to the different groups because he had these distinct groups in his life. He went to his family first, who were Hindu in their background. Then he went to his work associates. Then he went to his golfing buddies. Then he went to his partying friends. And then he went to his tennis club. And each time he went there, he was saying to them, listen, you know what I was like. Look at what I'm now. And there's one thing that changed me from what I was to what I am, and that's Jesus. Could it be? that he's the one you're looking for too. Okay, so this is my second thing I want you to do is you can take out your card and I want you to think of two groups that you're a part of. Like everybody has groups. You have your family group, some of you have play groups, some of you have teammates, some of you have study groups, some of you have fantasy football groups, some of you have tennis buddies. You have all these kinds of groups that, are, that you have in your life. I want you to think of two groups. And I want you to write down those two groups and make those two groups the groups that you pray for in 2019. And you pray not only for those groups, but that you will have an opportunity at some time in 2019 to tell that group, this is what Jesus did for me. 
Could it be? This is what you're looking for. Could it be? This is who you're looking for. All right, that's the second story. All right, last story is in uh, Luke chapter 8. And Luke chapter 8 is the story of a demoniac and Jesus, and this is what it says. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven out by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, so he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is God's word. All right. So this guy gets healed by Jesus, and he goes around telling people, and he wants to go with Jesus. Jesus says, no, go home and tell people how much uh, he has done for you. And then it says he went throughout the whole city. And throughout the whole city, all he kept saying was, listen, you guys saw me. You guys know what I was like. Do you see what I am now? And there's one thing that changed me from what I was to what I am. And that's Jesus. And that's Jesus. And that's Jesus. But the thing that struck me is he went into the, the whole city. And what struck me is that cities are places where there is inten- there's an intensity to life and death in a city. There's an, an intensity to brokenness in a city. Like here in the suburbs, there is brokenness for sure, but you kind of have to look to try to find it. In the city, it's just right there in front of you, and that's true of every city. And what's also true is that Christians have always been good for the city. We have always historically been wonderful for the city. Sociologist Rodney Starks wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, where he said that uh, the, the reason that Christianity spread so quickly across the Roman Empire is because the Christians were so good for the city because they would do for the city what no one else would do. Because what Christians would see is what ought to be. And then they would look at what is and then we'd say, no, no, this is what can be. And it's through Jesus it will happen. That's why our church, even though we are located in the suburbs, we are so connected to the city. And this is what 
we have done. We have all these ministry partners in the city. We want to try to find a, the best way to connect us to that, to connect you to that. Because one of the things we found with the survey, and if you haven't done the survey that we talked about last week, then please do it because we're getting all kinds of really good information. And if you haven't gotten it, you can get on our website and take it. But what we found is that like 98% of you say we do a great job of telling you about ministries that are outside these walls, but like 50% of you aren't serving anywhere and you want to, so we wanted to try to figure out how to connect you. So we've created this website for our ministry partners. And so if you get on the website, you'll find all the ministry partners that we have in the city. And they're divided into kind of three different groups. There's a group that does reach, what we call reach ministry. That has to do with the opiate epidemic that's ravaging our area. Then there's the rescue group, and the rescue group rescues women out of trafficking. And then there's the renew bucket that takes care of all the other brokenness in the city. And if you get on the website now, each one of these ministries will have kind of their things to pray about, but they'll also be able to say, listen, if you want to help us, if you want to serve in this area, if you want to serve for an hour, this is what you can do. If you want to serve for a day, this is how we need you. If you will serve regularly, this is what you can do. So it'll make it easy for you to connect. So on your card, we have listed out that website so you can get on there and you can just begin to poke around. So sometime in 2019, if you have not ever served in the city, we'd like you to do that sometime because Christians have been great for the city. All right? So, if we're going to make Jesus famous in 2019, we've got to make him famous at home first. Then we've got to make him famous in our communities. And our community, your community starts with one. So we want to have one friend that you will go to and say, come and see. Come and see. Your community consists of groups. Every group that you're a part of has people in it that long for Jesus, that need Jesus. This is going to be the year where you begin to tell your groups, if this is what you're looking for, I can connect you. If this is who you're looking for, I know Jesus. And then this is the year, too, where we're going to, your community involves the city. And we're going to connect you to the city in such a way that we make Jesus famous there. All right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we are grateful. Uh, grateful that you loved us before uh, we were ever anything worthy of your love. That you loved us in such a way that that love began to change us. I pray that you will drive that deep down. So as we, we want to make you famous in this area, we want this to be a great year. But we want to do the right things for the right reasons. So I pray that you will help us with that. And I pray that you would help us to make you famous in our community with the one, with the groups, and in our city. Thanks. You deserve to be made famous. You deserve to be high and lifted up. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.